is WEHC Emory 90.7 and WISE FM Wise 90.5, streaming worldwide at WEHCFM.com. Time for another edition of Farm Talk with Washington County Agricultural Extension Agent Phil Blevins. And today, got a great topic and one that I think are on the minds of lots of folks is how do you prepare for spring planting? All right, it's good to be with you today, Ivy, and everyone out there that's listening. Appreciate WEHC having me on today to talk about this. We are going to talk about getting ready for spring growing season, but I thought I'd put one bit of trivia out there just to start with, and that is if you've noticed uh, the scent of skunk in the air. It's uh, We're coming up on skunk mating season, so love is in the air, and uh, I noticed the other day there's already a lot of dead skunks in the road, so uh, I guess they lose their mind this time of year. But anyhow, um, sometimes we wonder what in the world are they doing out this time of the year, but that's what's going on. So we think about uh, getting ready for growing season. It's coming at us fast. It's hard to believe that this is the last day of January of 2024, so time's moving on. And it won't be long till we'll be back in the gardening season and back in the growing season for farmers. And so I thought it'd be a good idea today for us to talk about this. If you have questions as we go along, feel free to call in. Or if you have questions at other times, please feel free to contact me at the Washington County Extension Office, either by the phone by phone at 676-6309 or by email at pblevins.vt.edu. I think I got that out right, but anyhow. And if you want to call into the station, the number is 276-944-6933. All right. I really do like to answer questions. I may not always know the answer, and if I don't, I'll tell you I don't know, but I will find out the answer later. So anyhow, we'll just start out uh, with the basics, and I've talked about this before on the show, but really you need the soil test. I've mentioned this several times, and I don't think we can overemphasize that because there's nobody in the world that can look at your soil and tell you what the condition is as far as fertility and pH goes. And so uh, that's one of the first things that we need to do. But Prior to that, you really need to have a plan. As you get into the gardening season, uh, it may be that you've done it for years, and so the plan is written down in your brain. That's fine. Uh, If you're just a beginner or maybe someone that likes to be really organized, you need to have a plan, and it's good if you can to put it down on paper uh, so that you know where you're going to plant things in the garden and so you can have a plan then in future years to rotate. Uh, to help with disease and pest problems. And so we talked about on previous shows about rotating families of plants uh, into different places or or even different garden spots. But you also need to have decided, uh, should have by this time, the location of your garden. If you haven't done that, then you need to do that. It should be in full sun. Uh, Most vegetables need eight hours or more of uh, full sun during the growing season. Some exceptions to that might be some things like radishes or greens, some of the greens that we grow. And you should have access to water because uh, even though we do live in a part of the world where we have a significant amount of rainfall during the year, we do hit dry periods during the growing season most years. And for maximum production, you may need to irrigate. You also ought to be thinking about wildlife protection right now. Uh, If you're going to need to build deer fence, 
or something of that nature, it's best to have that done prior to the growing season. Or if you have groundhogs in the area, it would be a good time to uh, dispose of them while you're not growing anything. Uh, and then uh, you, if, you're in, if you're a farmer out there listening today uh, and you have fields that you plan to renovate, uh, whether they are uh, pasture fields or hay fields or maybe you're going from corn into grass, you need to be making plans regarding that right now. So we, I mentioned soil sampling, and it always, that, to me, that's the place you start because the soils are the foundation of everything we grow, whether it's a corn crop or whether it's a vegetable garden or flowers or, or grass in the yard, whatever it might be. And, and when it comes to soil sampling, it's not a difficult process, but it's something that needs to be done at least the best we can to be accurate with it. And when you think about taking a soil sample, uh, when you're sampling, uh, taking a soil sample, one cup of soil is going to represent about 2 million pounds of soil per acre. So if you, if you sample a large area like 10 acres, 20 tons of soil is a lot of soil. And so uh, I said 20 tons, more like 20 million tons. Uh, but anyhow, so we need to try to be as, as random and representative as we can. And when you're doing that, even in a small garden or in your, in your lawn or wherever it might be, you need to avoid extreme areas. Don't find the worst place in the garden to sample. And if you have areas, for example, where if it's in a pasture field where the cattle stand a lot, you want to avoid those, area because, those areas because it's going to be very high in nutrients. Or in your garden, if you always dump the scraps after you eat in one spot in the garden, then that's going to really elevate the nutrients in that particular area, and you're going to get a distorted view of the of whatever it is you're trying to grow, of, of what it needs. In the case of sampling hay or pasture or lawns uh, or anything, you only really need to sample about every two or three years. But in those particular crops, you only want to sample about four inches deep. And whatever you're using to sample, whether it's a spade or if you happen to have a soil sampling probe, you need to mark that so that you sample the same depth everywhere you take a, a subsample because you're going to take about 10 or 12 samples out of the area that you're wanting to uh, have a report on and mix those together in a plastic bucket uh, and then take your sample for analysis out of that. Now, if it's for a garden or a crop that you're actually turning the soil or plowing the soil, uh, you need to sample to the plow depth, if that's six inches or if that's eight inches, because that's the area that you're going to uh, mix up. And so you need to know what the fertility level and the pH is and all of that. And if you're sampling big areas, one sample shouldn't represent more than about 10 or 20 acres. And so uh, keep in mind when you're doing this that you need to do it randomly. You need to avoid those extreme uh, and really good areas, poor and good areas, uh, and, but you do need to do it at random. And one of the best ways to do that is to kind of zigzag back and forth across the garden or the field or whatever it is um, multiple times to be able to get those 12 subsamples that you're going to sample from. So, you know, we do have, as I mentioned, we do have the kits in the office. We have the boxes and the forms that you would send in to do to uh, get an, a report back from our lab at Virginia Tech. Uh, for most of the things that we're going to grow, the vast majority, 
when we talk about pH, pH is an estimate, or not an estimate, it's actually a, 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 a measurement of the acidity or alkalinity of the soil. And most crops that we grow need to be in the slightly acid range of 6.2 to 6.5, with 7 being neutral on the pH scale. And the reason for this is it really improves nutrient availability. When pH uh, begins to fall too far or get too high, we start to tie up nutrients to where the plants can't absorb them. And this is going to, this pH range of 6.2 to 6.5 is going to favor the growth of, of, of cool season grasses, for example, and most vegetable crops. There are crops that need lower pHs like blueberries and, and from the standpoint of landscape, azaleas, for example, they need an acid soil, but they're kind of the exception to the rule of things that we grow in this part of the world. And so it also, getting it in this range as it makes those nutrients available, it gives the plants that we grow a competitive advantage over the weeds and other things that are going to be a problem. And I always say this, a healthy plant is one of the best defenses against disease, uh, against other pests uh, that are going to be a problem for it. It doesn't mean that we won't have those problems, but, you know, when we're healthy, uh, when we're well-fed, when we're very healthy, then we have a better opportunity to overcome colds and flu and things like that. And so the same thing applies in the plant world. Uh, we don't think about it that way sometimes, but that's the way it is. And so you get that soil sample, you'll get a report back from that that will tell you if you need to lime. It will also tell you what you, how you should uh, fertilize and if you need fertilize. And so sometimes we just do the same thing we've always done. And it may be that we're doing more than we need to, or it may be that we're not doing as much as we need to. And so we need to keep that in mind. Uh, those of you that are farmers out there listening, if you do need lime, uh, you need to line up someone now to spread lime for you because there's not so many people anymore that actually are in that business in this part of the world. And they stay busy. So if you're going to need lime spread, you need to go ahead and get one of those people lined up now uh, to be able to make any lime applications that you need. Now, if you're applying lime to soil, let's say in a garden that you're going to plow, it's best to put half of what would be recommended down before you plow and then half afterward. And that way we get it mixed throughout the plow layer and have a better chance of... Uh, of it reacting like we want it to. You can surface apply for other situations. If you're putting lime on your yard or if you are uh, no-tilling your garden or if you're a farmer no-tilling corn or on pasture or hay, then surface applying lime works perfectly fine. Uh, there's always a question about when should you apply lime, and actually you apply lime as soon as you determine you need it. Uh, there's no particular time of the year that there's an advantage with. Now, the sooner, though, you get it down, the better off you are. Uh, and one of the things you'll see if you happen to take a soil sample for turf, for example, or for your lawn, it's going to say something like apply 50 pounds or no more than 50 pounds of lime per thousand square feet. Uh, if you need more than that, it's going to say split it up into two or three applications. Uh, 50 pounds is a uh, per thousand is a little more than a ton. It's about 2.1 or a little more than a ton per acre, about 2,170 pounds, somewhere in that neighborhood. 
And so actually what you're doing is not putting more than a ton per acre down at at a time. Now, in a farm situation, obviously you can put more down than that, or if your garden needs more than that, then you want to put down whatever they tell you to do. One thing you don't want to do is over-apply. You know, a little bit of lime every year is not necessarily good because once you get the pH up above 7, you start running into some problems in the other direction of soils that are too alkaline, actually tying up nutrients that we need. And sometimes people wonder, well, my pH is so bad. You know, my pH is 5 and it needs to be 6.2. Is it going to do any good if I lime this year? Well, absolutely it will. Uh, The lime law in Virginia actually says that 30% 30% of the of an ag lime product has to pass, at least 30%, has to pass a 100 mesh screen, which means that's 100 wires per inch, so that's very fine, and that's very reactive. Um, once you put that down, once you put ag lime down, that 30% is going to react really quickly with the soil and begin to raise the pH. Uh, Dr. Mark Alley, who is our soil fertility specialist for many years, and did an outstanding job, uh, sent me a slide of a corn crop where the pH was uh, pretty low. They applied lime in the spring when they spread it and when or when they planted the corn. And later in the season as the corn was growing, where they had limed, uh, the corn was normal. Where they hadn't limed, this is field corn, it was probably about three or four feet tall. So, you know, if you do have a pH problem, go ahead and apply it. Now, some of you may be used to Maybe use hydrated lime, which is the white lime that you get in a bag. Now, that is all going to pass through about a 200 or 400 mesh screen. So it is really reactive, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. But keep in mind, the, the finer the material and the faster react it reacts, the faster it starts going the other way. So just keep that in mind. Uh, before we talk about the next thing, I tell you what, let's take a break. So I'll turn it back to Ivy. Smith County, Virginia has two weekly jams open to all musicians. The Chilhawi Bluegrass Jamboree takes place every Tuesday night from 6.30 until 10 at 116 Industrial Park Drive in Chilhawi. And the Old Time Music Jam occurs every Friday night from 7 until 9 at the Palmer Mill in Saltville, Virginia. If your business is in need of interns this summer, contact United Way of Southwest Virginia to participate in the Ignite Internship Program. The deadline for businesses to apply is February 15th. The career clusters include arts, communications, education, finance, energy, government, health science, human services, IT, law, marketing, engineering, and more. For more information, unitedwayswva.org. Locally owned and operated since 1914, Food Country USA provides customers quality and value with products sourced from farms in our region. From the farm, to our stores, to your table. Food Country USA. We are back with more Farm Talk and today talking about planning for your spring garden. And if you got a question, maybe you've wondered over the years, wonder why my mater plant leaves turn yellow. Well, you got somebody here who is a wealth of knowledge, would be happy to answer your questions. And if he doesn't know the answer, he'll do his best to find them for you. And 
We'll get back now to Phil Blevins, but we got a caller on the line, Phil. All right, you're on Farm Talk. What's your question? Hello. Hi, Phil. How are you doing today? I love your show, and I have this question, two-part question, which I hope is not uh, off the subject too much. Around my house, there are several different areas that get anywhere from complete shade to uh, full sun most of the day. And I'm wondering if in the preparation stage that we're talking about now, should I treat those areas any differently in terms of uh, bed preparation and and uh, that sort of thing? Um, or should they all be done the same? And also, since you were talking about soil samples, would I necessarily need to do separate samples for separate areas like that, or or should I do it the way you're describing and just take the samples and mix them all together? So those shady areas, as far as preparation goes, uh, the only thing that I would, I mean, I would soil sample. Let me start with the second question first. Uh, if those areas are similar in terms of what plant growth you have on them or, or uh, what you see there, soil type, et cetera, I would... I would take multiple samples out of those areas and send one sample in. Now, if there are areas that are obviously different, you know, if you've got really heavy clay in one area and then the other area you've got more of a loamy-type soil, then I would probably get different samples out of those areas, and then you'll have a better recommendation on how to treat those. Just be sure that you remember what sample represents what. Now, in terms of what you grow there, if they're really shady areas, you're going to be restricted on what you can do. Uh, if you want to, for example, grow a garden there, then you're going to have to do something about the shade. Uh, if there are areas where, you're, where you have turf, uh, then you need to pick a shade-tolerant turf, something like creeping red fescue or some of the uh, newer varieties of bluegrass. I don't know how well that do in the Piedmont where you are, but some of the newer varieties of turf that are shade tolerant and can handle shade. Or pick some type of plants that you're interested in that would grow well in shade. There are shade tolerant plants. I mean, if you're growing flowers there, then obviously there are flowers that grow well in shade. And if you want to grow vegetables there, as long as you get about six hours of sunlight a day, there are things you could grow there like greens, uh, and some of those things that we mentioned earlier. Uh, and so I hope that answers the question. If it doesn't, you know, you could call us back and maybe I could do a better job of explaining that. But uh, I think from based on what you said, unless you can remedy the shade problem, it's going to restrict you on what you're able to grow there. And one of the ways you can tell that when you're growing plants, if they look like they're really stretching, and they're not growing, then they're trying to get sunlight. Potatoes, for example, will do that. People try to grow them in a shady spot, and you see the vines really stretching and looking kind of pale. That's because they're probably not getting enough sunlight. So if that doesn't answer the question, as I said, you're welcome to call back, and maybe we can clarify that. So, But that's really good questions. Um, so when you get a soil sample back, at least from Virginia Tech, now in the case of the person from Mount Airy, North Carolina, you're going to send those to, well, you can send them wherever you want to, but it's probably going to make most sense for you to send them to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture. That's who does the soil testing down there. But if you get one back from our lab at Virginia Tech, it's going to, for vegetables, you're going to get a recommendation that's going to cover all of the the lime recommendation, you're also going to get a recommendation that covers your fertilizer needs. 
And I've noticed on vegetable recommendations, vegetable gardens, it's going to recommend about 80 or 90 pounds of nitrogen per, per acre. Uh, and they're going to have that broken down per 100 square feet. And so uh, in my experience, I'm going to talk a little bit about experience now, crops like corn and tomatoes and some of the heavy feeder crops are going to need about half that much again later on in the season. So if it's 80 pounds, then you're going to need to side dress with maybe 40 more pounds of nitrogen on an acre basis uh, later on in the season. So, for example, if it tells you to put two pounds of 10, 10, 10 per 1,000 square feet, then you're going to want to come back with about a pound later on in the season as a side dress application. And for corn, you would do that approximately four weeks after emergence. And with tomatoes, you know, after they begin to bloom, you could do that. Be sure you don't overapply. Now, in addition to that, it's going to tell you how much phosphate and potash you need to put down as well. Other things you need to be doing right now is you need to order your seed now. You know, don't wait around until two weeks before you're ready to plant uh, because it's very unlikely, or it's, it's very possible, I should say, that you're going to end up not being able to get the varieties that you want. Uh, from my understanding, grass seed, if you're sowing grass, should be that supply should be adequate this year. It was short last year. A lot of that depends on the growing season in Oregon, uh, where a lot of our grass seed comes from. And if they have bad weather out there, really bad drought or something, sometimes they're in supply. But my understanding is grass seed should be in good supply this year. Then you need to order any other supplies you need now, tomato steaks, baskets, things like that. Uh, if you grow transplants, you need to go ahead and order those cell packs or potting soil that you would use for that. Think about frost protection. If you're one of the early growers, uh, if you're going to put stuff out before the frost dates are passed, then you need to be thinking about frost protection, either row covers or whatever you plan to use, and then any fungicides or insecticides that you're going to use. I wanted to mention about preparing the soil, and one of the first things you ought to do is clean off old plant material from last year. If you've got old tomato vines and stuff like that still there, get those off because they harbor disease. Get rid of those. Uh, you need to plow or turn sod. If you're going into a sod area, you need to turn that as soon as possible to allow that sod to begin to rot. Uh, and it's best if you can completely turn it. Now, sometimes it's hard to completely turn an old sod because it just those roots want to hold it together. But keep in mind, whether it's sod or not, don't work it when it's too wet uh, because your clods are going to be a problem if you do that. We generally, in this part of the world, have a fair percentage of clay in the soil. And if we work these soils too wet, then we end up with clod, real cloddy soil. And basically, the soil should fall apart. Uh, when the soil moisture is right in it. Uh, it shouldn't be like modeling clay that you can actually make something out of it. And if you can, after you've plowed it, allow it to go through a rainy period or two. And that kind of helps break some of those uh, wetter areas apart. Uh, if you plant a cover crop this past fall, be sure you don't let it get too tall or you won't be able to plow it under. If it gets too tall, something like rye, uh, then either mulch it with a, some type of mulching mower or cut it and remove it because you'll have a mess if you don't. If you're growing transplants, uh, you need to be sure you start those in time to be ready for planting time. You know, uh, lettuce, broccoli, onions, kale, and radishes, any plant really can be started inside. Uh, with tomatoes, 
you need to plant, start those about six to eight weeks prior to when you want to transplant them. Peppers, probably eight weeks plus, uh, because it seems to me like it just takes a little longer to get a pepper plant ready. They take longer to seeds to germinate. Cucumbers, melons, and things like that, cabbage, about three weeks prior to when you want to plant them. Now, one thing I would mention about producing transplants with, with tomatoes and peppers and cabbage in particular, they don't direct seed into the, into the soil very well. So if you can get you a tray of potting soil and take a pencil and lay off rows in it, just press the pencil down long ways to make a row and drop those seeds in that and then just barely cover them and wet it good. And if you can put that on a heating mat, a heating pad, for example, that's safe to do that with, and cover that plastic tray with cellophane, you can get them up a whole lot quicker. It's like making a greeny, mini greenhouse out of it. And then when those things get about an inch tall or so, uh, then you can pull those out and actually take a pencil and make a hole in your uh, seed packs and uh, press those into it and water them and grow your plants that way. You know, as far as taking those transplants to the field, be sure that you harden them off. And all we're trying to do there is toughen the plant up. Uh, and one of the ways to do that with tomatoes and peppers and cabbage and those type plants is to allow them to wilt. Once you get the plants big enough, allow them to wilt. Don't let them get to the permanent wilting point, but allow them to wilt for a while, for a few times, and then water them and let them come back each time. And that toughens that plant up. Uh, when you put them in the field, then they're a lot uh, better able to take off. Uh, and really, uh, don't keep them too long. You know, plants that start getting out 12 and 13 weeks old, it starts affecting them in a negative way. If you use grow lights to grow your plants inside, don't take those directly out into the sun, in the, in, in especially on a, a hot day in the spring, because they're just not going to do well. If you use grow lights, you need to accustom them to some sunlight. And one of the ways to do that is put them in the shade for a day or two before you plant them where they can be exposed to the sun, at least some, uh, so that they begin to get accustomed to that and toughen up in that regard. And just keep that in mind as you do it. Keep in mind where we are in the hardiness zones, too. Most of this area in the listening area of WEHC is going to be in the, in the 6A or 6B uh, hardiness, USDA hardiness zone. Uh, 6A would be those higher elevations like White Top, Mount Rogers, up in the mountains over in the coal fields, uh, particularly Upper Buchanan and Tazewell County and the mountains down into Tennessee and North Carolina. And that makes a difference on when you do things when. So uh, keep that in mind. There is a publication that I would mention to you that would be worth your while to get as far as when to plant. And... Uh, I'll give you the title, and if you have questions about it, you can contact me. But it's called Virginia's Home Garden Vegetable Planning Guide. Virginia's Home Garden Vegetable Planning Guide. And it has recommended planting dates, and it has in it amounts to plant. How much broccoli should you plant, depending on your family size? How many, how, how many feet a row of beans and things like that? And that's pretty important if you're if you're a new gardener and don't have any experience on how they're going to produce. So I've enjoyed being with you today. I appreciate the question, the call-in question. Hopefully we can get more of those. And Ivy, thank you for having me on today. And look forward to being back with everyone next week. 
thank you so much, Phil. Tune in next Wednesday at 1 o'clock for another edition of Farm Talk right here on WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise. And, Phil, you got one last question to answer. Larry wanted to know, when is spring going to be here? Spring will be here when it gets here. (laughs) We hope it's here on time this year. That should be March the 21st, but don't count on it. I heard a guy say one time I saw a man plowing with a horse with a coat over his arm in March and asked him why he carried it, and he said he didn't know what the weather was going to be from one end of the field to the other. So, If you've got any questions for Phil, don't hesitate to send him an email, pblevins at vt.edu, or you can always call him at the radio station, 276-944-6933.